welcome to another Top of the Table interview. Join us as we hear stories and advice from MDRT Top of the Table qualifiers. Hey, welcome to Top of the Table. I'm Sandy Chassel. My work is coaching successful advisors who want to grow to mid-six figures and beyond and to do it without having to add more hours or spend their money on expensive client acquisition programs. And this program is devoted to learning what gets someone to the top level in the Million Dollar Roundtable. Today, I'm talking with Joe Milano, a top of the table producer who's been a producing manager most of his career. Originally from Staten Island, New York, he's the managing partner of the Charlotte, North Carolina-based New South Wealth, where he manages a team of advisors and sells on his own. And just the income from his own work gets him to qualify as a top of the table producer. Joe is also a Forbes Finance Council member and contributor. I've had the pleasure of working with Joe and members of his team, and I'm excited to be talking with him today about his career path. Joe, welcome. Thank you, Sandy, and I'm very excited to be here. Cool. So let's start with the, you know, the thing that I usually start with, which is how does somebody like you decide, hey, I'm going to make a career out of financial services and insurance? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And you know, like everybody else that got in the business, Sandy, when I was in first grade, I recognized the importance of a life insurance salesman. And I committed to that path from that day forward. Wait a minute, first grade. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking with you, Sandy. I, know, I, I think <laughs> a lot of it was kind of similar to how most people get in the business. I was uh, a small business owner in college. We did a little bit of uh, nightclub promotion and nightclub marketing. And uh, that gave me a little bit of a taste of an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, I was in a very big fraternity, uh, had very strong relationships. And so one of the guys who graduated a couple of years ahead of me came back to campus one day and made a presentation to the uh, fraternity brothers about him working in financial services, what his day-to-day looked like, and how this would be a good opportunity for, you know, some of the guys in the fraternity to enter once they graduated school. Uh, I was in a little bit of a unique position. Uh, I was on pace to graduate early. Um, and so what I did was I had asked him, hey, is there an internship opportunity available? Uh, him knowing that I had that little bit of an entrepreneurial background, he said, sure. And the next thing you know, I showed up at uh, 1818 Market Street, uh, 8 a.m. in suit and tie that following Monday and started my internship with Northwestern Mutual. What was what was the thinking when you started? You know, I think that's a great question, uh, Sandy. And a big part of why I didn't share the year with you is I had a feeling that was going to be the follow-up question. So the year I started my internship was August of 2001. And so I started making 100 to 150 cold calls a day in August. And a month later, September 11th happened. And uh, I was away at Villanova University. Um, I went to, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I uh, grew up in Staten Island, New York. I went to high school in the middle of Manhattan. And uh, I lost kids that I went to high school with that day. I lost kids, uh, their brothers, their fathers, their mothers, their aunts and uncles. And I vividly remember, Sandy, like you were scared to call people because you didn't know how the conversation was going to go. 
you know, and I remember watching the news every single night and they're kind of doing the names at the screen at the end of it. And I'm reading the local paper every day and they're finding more and more uh, deaths from that event. And so I share all that with you because, you know, I took the internship because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and uh, I saw a lot of guys driving fancy cars and some really nice suits, right? But not even in the business for a full month, I really saw the impact, right? Because even in the Philadelphia office, death claims came in, right? So even though that happened in New York City, it, it, it impacted the whole country. And, you know, uh, guys and gals in our business had a couple of thousand clients in that building. So I actually saw, you know, I experienced the impact, right? Because my friends and uh, their parents, right? I lived that, but I also saw the economic benefit of what life insurance was because it became an all hands on deck situation. And as an intern, you know, they wanted to give me the really important stuff. So I had to make copies of the files and send those, right? But I saw it. I lived it, I read it, you know, and I recognize that day forward that life insurance is probably one of the most honorable professions in America. It kind of gets a bad rap because most Americans can't do it. Yeah, it not only can't do it, but people in the industry, people that I've talked to, people that I've worked with, have this view of themselves as being salespeople when that's not really what it's about you're doing something that can be life-changing for people i i totally agree with you and I, you know, I alluded to a little bit of uh a second part of that answer you know i understood the life insurance uh business and the value that we provide as advisors uh, i had a cousin pass when I was 16 years old, he was 23 mm. and he had a brain aneurysm. So one of the things my grandfather did for all his grandkids when we were born was he bought life insurance on us 30 days later. Wow. So I had a 21 year old cousin pass a tragic event. I mean, it's almost 25 years later. I don't think the family still passed it. Right. But there was an economic benefit that offset some of that burden, some of that grief, some of that hardship, right, at that time. So when you're asking how I got in the business, why I got in the business, I just feel like, you know, I like being an underdog. I like the fact that everybody kind of looks, you know, um, a little bit skeptical at the financial advisor, the financial planner, because part of what they do is life insurance. But I seek a lot of confirmation in that when there's a problem, there's only one person you're going to call and it's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your father, your mother, you're going to call me. And uh, that's why I'm in the business. And that's why I continue to stay in the business and try to bring people into the business. Yeah. I like to say that, you know, when the time comes and you need the money, you could have a lawyer for 30 years. He's not bringing you a check. You can have a, an accountant for 30 years. He's not bringing you a check the one that's going to bring the check or at least arrange to have the check sent to you is the financial advisor, life insurance agent that you work with. And to me, that's so important. And it sounds like you're saying you're, you're confirming that in, in a very powerful way. 
Absolutely, Sandy. And I think that's uh, very astute for you to share with advisors, because I think what happens, you know, we lose sight of it. You know, this is what we live, eat and breathe. We develop habits, we develop tr traditions, yeah. you know, and, and so this just becomes second nature to us. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate you being an advocate with new advisors and sharing that type of advice with them, because I'm not seeing that in the industry anymore with the newer people coming in. Yeah, and it's not even new advisors. I'll talk to people who've been in the business for years, and they still don't understand their value. And what I see is when I talk to someone like you who's made it to top of the table, you do understand the value. And that's a significant difference between the people who aren't making it and the people who are, is you look at it and say, look, you know, I may be out there selling, but what I'm selling is something that people absolutely need. And they're not going to get it from anyone who's going to take the time to explain what they're really buying. And you've, you know, you've got that. And I can see that in, in the work that you do. So at some point, you said, hey, look, I can I can do this business. I can go out and sell and I can, you know, make all those phone calls and get to see people and talk to people. But mm, I think I want to be a manager. Tell me about that. You know, that's a good question, Sandy. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you have days. But, uh, <laughs> I'll do the best I can in a couple of all minutes right. here. So, uh I've always been very passionate about the, the business. And um, what I recognize is we have a unique value prop. And so I was able to get to MDRT within like 24 calendar months. And what ended up happening is in the Northwestern Mutual system, you know, after your first year, you become responsible for all of your expenses. And uh, I was commuting to my office. So I was living in Staten Island. I was commuting to the office was in Summit, New Jersey. And um, I was doing some pretty good production. Like I said, it was MDRT. I was, you know, 20 something years old. And uh, I remember going to the managing partner at the time. And I was like, um, you know, it cost me like $30 a day in tolls to come to the office, you know. And uh, it's at least a tank of gas back and forth. And so I was kind of laying my uh, business presentation out there for him to allow me to have what was called the detached office. So I was thinking about uh, just a lone wolf strategy, Sandy. And I'm, I, I mean, I've watched your podcast. I know you've, you've had the types, right? So that was what I was visioning. I'm going to move to my hometown. I'm going to open up my office. I'm going to have a one person uh, you know, two person, uh, administrative operation team and set it and forget it. The rest is on cruise control. And so as I'm making the presentation, uh, I could see his wheel started turning a little bit, you know? So he gave me permission to go open the detached office. And the way I got into the detached office is I built a relationship with an accountant. He had some additional space. I moved in there. Well, you know, my managing partner came out after uh, two months, maybe three months, and he's like, I want to see the space. I want to talk to you. Hey, Joe, this was a great move. We're very excited. Uh, the business that you're doing is fantastic, you know. Um, but at the time, I'm thinking to myself, I added a lot more bills here that I wasn't paying attention 
You know, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, toilet paper and tissues and all this stuff was now my responsibility. You know, you kind of lose sight of that when you're in the big general agency. So I made a, a kind of like a, a comment like, hey, you know, Steve, is there is there anything I could do to maybe enhance my compensation outside of the traditional models? You know, because what I've learned, Sandy, being in the business for two years at that point is if you don't ask, you don't get and uh, him being a very astute uh, Northwestern managing partner left me and said, well, funny you should ask. I have an idea. And I said, okay, let's see where this goes. He's like, you know, if you can recruit people and get them on full-time contracts and get them to sell, I'll help offset some of your expenses. Like, this is the best thing since ice cream. I just graduated college. I grew up in Staten Island. All my friends just graduated college. We're coming out of 9-11. We're coming out of the worst stock market ever. You know, maybe not ever, but it was a bad one. Um, and so I was like, how many people you want? He's like, you think you could get two? I was like, sure. By that Friday, I had two people. <laughs> just jump right into it. All of a right? sudden, I'm a manager now. I went to my friends and I said, hey, look, I got a great opportunity. I'm going to show you how to do it. You got Now, at that time, training was very robust, Sandy. It's changed a lot. At that time, I think it was maybe like a four or five week training program. I said, guys, all you got to do is go to training for five weeks in New Jersey. You'll come to Staten Island. You'll work out of the office. I'll do all the training. Within 18 to 24 months, you follow a system. You have a six-figure income. So the question was, you know, how did I get into management? Uh, you know, I took the entrepreneurial approach and tried to figure out revenue streams. The managing partner at the time recognized he, he appreciates revenue streams. Let me give him access to one. And that's how I ended up getting managed. <laughs> I would not have guessed that that's the way you got into management. It's like, well, you know, it makes sense now that you got this office space. Let's hire some guys and have them work with you. And But it kind of extrapolates, Sandy, into that in terms of we took a little bit different approach than a lot of advisors because we were kind of all the same age. And so what we did there is we took a little bit of an approach of let's just schedule as many meetings as possible. And then whoever can go, let them go. And then we split the business. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great approach. And that's different than many uh, management uh, advisor situations. Right. So to take it through, I got into management just thinking, oh, this is a way to get some free rent and I'll make more money from personal production. But yeah. what happened, because I'm, you know, I was very young and naive, Sandy, you know, and so I didn't know any better. But then what I recognized is if the three, four, five of us make these calls and split all this business, that number is going to grow a lot faster than if I'm just one guy making one call, keeping one appointment. And so that's when I doubled down on management. Yeah, yeah. And the, the interesting thing to me is that most of your, pretty much all of the production that got you to top of the table was your own production. You're basically paying expenses with what uh, the other guys were producing. And, and you know, I'm curious about that. What did you do to get there? And what do you do to stay there? I mean, how do you produce the way you produce? You know, Sandy, so that's a good question. So that was the beginning. Mm -hmm. In the middle, 
I gave up my personal book of business. Right. So I was 100% responsible for recruiting, training, and development. Wow. Finding the right people and getting them up productive as fast as possible. True so management. I probably took maybe a four and a half, five year hiatus from production. And then what I recognized uh, through a lot of conversations with different home offices and when I, and a couple of different broker dealers and a lot of really sharp, sharp advisors is the business changed. So in 2019, I completely changed the model. And instead of being a, a sales manager, okay, we became a producer-centric firm where we didn't really have a specific affiliation on the insurance side. We affiliated with an independent broker-dealer. And so then now the model became, it doesn't matter who you sell or what you sell, we get paid the same way. Yeah. So once that happened, I said to myself, and I'm talking to my team, okay, you know, the idea of having just uh, recruiting and training development reps, that's no longer the case. So we built the producer-centric model. I literally went back and did a project 200 for myself. So I know the thing that everybody laughs at and says doesn't work, okay, and says, you know, maybe that happened in 95, right? I mean, I probably sold more production in 12 months off the project 200 than some firms will do in a couple of years, right? But so, so when I changed the model to 2017 to the producer-centric model, I made a commitment to go back into personal production uh, because now we can truly help people. We're not really building company profits. We're helping clients build wealth and solve problems. And that's when I went back into production. And then to kind of echo your point, I worked my project 200. And I also started working with other advisors in a capacity of helping them work with business owners and uh, generational wealth with families. So I don't have a niche market, Sandy, right? Like if you came to me and said, hey, Joe, who do you call on? You know, I wouldn't turn to you and say doctors. <laughs> I wouldn't turn to you and say, you know, XYZ technology company, you know? I've really been a, a general pr practitioner uh, for the last 20 years. What I've recognized though, is that we get paid to solve problems. So uh, I've spent a lot of time building uh, skill sets and knowledge in the high net worth space and the um, business owner market, but I'm not exclusively in those markets. Yeah, I may want to talk to you more about that because most of the top of the table people that I've talked with do have a niche either in the kind of work they do or with the type of client they do. But before we even go there, uh, you've mentioned Project 200 a couple of times, and, and I'm guessing there are a lot of people who are going to be watching this or listening to this that don't know what you mean. So so let, let's fill in that gap first. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> so the Project 200, Sandy, and what I did is I really brought it down to the rawest form. I created an Excel spreadsheet. I created a names column. I created a numbers column. I created an email column. I created an occupation column and I put the uh, approximate uh, income that I believe that they were at. Then what I did is I kind of uh, recognized that I can kind of put them demo uh, geographically. 
because I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm originally from Staten Island, New York. So I put them all geographically and then I started making calls. Now, something that wasn't great for the world, but was kind of pretty good for my business was COVID. Because now instead of getting on a plane every month and going up to New York three to four times to do these meetings, I could do them all on Zoom. And so really COVID was help, really helped me transform my practice almost from that uh, one meeting at a time to now almost 100% digital and virtual. Yeah, and a lot of good advisors figured out that this was actually a benefit to them. And to this day, even where you can meet with clients again, uh, they're doing a lot of their stuff on Zoom because it makes sense. It's a, a much easier way to do business. So the the 200 was, you put 200 people on the list. You know, let's, let's finish that. Great. There yeah. were people that I had personal or business relationships with. Yeah. They were yeah. people that I knew I could pick up the phone with and have an immediate conversation. Yeah. I'm just asking you why it's called Project 200. And so that and and so that's why I started with them. And I'll tell you the truth, Sandy, a lot of my initial calls didn't start with business. Yeah, right, right. You you develop relationships. It's all about relationships. In, in the uh, program that I do, the the uh, ninety day marketing tune up, that's what we start with. Is how uh, good is your relationship with the people that are already clients? And it's amazing that that most advisors don't see that their relationships are not as good as they think they are. And that's what drives referrals, more business from them, more investment by them. They just don't see it. And so we go back and take a look and say, well, how really, if you have a top 20, how are you treating them? Uh, and it's just what you're talking about. You pick 200 people that uh, are uh, you're connected with that know you that are clients and you just have conversations with them and if it's been a year since you talked with them so now you uh, you don't want to jump right into hey can I do more work well with you you, you want to get that relationship rolling again so I, I hear you loud and clear that that makes perfect sense so let's get back to the niche question. You know, you you don't have a niche and you'll help anybody you can. And for most advisors, that's the hard way to do it, not the easy way. But it sounds like as long as you're focused on the people that you've already worked with, it's pretty easy to keep that going. So this guy may be uh, a plumber and you talk to him and he refers you to somebody else who's in some other field, you know, other construction field and, and so on. And that sounds like what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I think one thing that allows me to do that, Sandy, is that I do have other advisors that I'm able to refer business back and forth with. Yep. And what I would encourage I've seen a little bit in the industry the last couple of years, everybody's kind of circling the wagons. These are my prospects. These are my leads. Yeah, I need to keep 100% of the revenue. And, and, and I, would, I would encourage people to break that model. You know, I, I mean, I probably come across 
three, four deals a month that all I do is just give them to another advisor and let them work it. And then we follow the MDR2 rules of, of 520s. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's great. That's that's like you. there's still a piece of you that's definitely a manager. You know, you want to keep your people happy and 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 that work. You know, you're going along. You you had jumped right into the MDRT. Then you gave up your book, and then you're you're back in business uh, as a producer. And um, all of a sudden, you're you're hitting top of the table level. Was that a goal, or did it just happen? You know, that's a good question, Sandy. I mean, I think it's something that I had in the back of my mind, but maybe a little bit out of fear. Didn't want to put it down on paper uh -huh. until yep. I was really close and knew I was going to hit it. Yep. But I think, you know, Sandy, I think that was a really good question. I think it's, it, you know, whenever you're dealing with achieving something like a top of the table, you got to start with the end in mind. So I, I knew that I was going to get there. I just didn't realize how fast I was going to get there. And what I recognized it was control the controllables. So I didn't necessarily, you know, when I was young, Sandy, it was all about how many cases, how much premium, you know, uh, if I see these six people and I can do the average case at around X, I'm at, right? What I did this time is I said, what are the things that I can control? What are the things that I need to focus on that will produce the results? And to be honest, Danny, for six months, that's all I did. I didn't even actually look at the results. Yeah. I just picked yeah. up my head after six months. And I was like, I just did a year's worth of production in six months. <laughs> in six months. Yeah. You know, I tell people to set it and forget it. Like that old Bronco commercial, set the goal because you, you need to have a goal, but then do the things that are going to get you to the goal. It's all about the process goals, not the ultimate goal. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. But you had to be doing something different or better than the average producer. And that's where I want to go with you. It's like, what's what's the secret? What's the thing that can drive that much production? Because I know the MDRT numbers, uh, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of production. How do you get there? How do you do that? Yeah, you know, um, I just watched a podcast the other day and uh, I laughed because, you know, I'm going to be quoting Mike Tyson, which I never thought I would quote Mike Tyson for just a little philosophical purposes. I like Yogi Berra. Yeah. <laughs> but what he said, Sandy, it answers your question and it gets it all right in one point. And he said, you know, discipline is doing something you don't want to do like you love to do it. And if I had to boil down just that initial push to get the practice to a level where this was going to be consistent, it all just came back to discipline. You know, that I want to sit there and do my dialing hour. I mean, I was in the business over 20 years at that point, Sandy. Did I want to work like I did my first day on the job? No. Absolutely not. But I did. And then what happened was just by focusing on the things I can control, literally, Every night going through my calendar, okay, I took one good quality fact finder. I had one good quality close. I got two good quality referrals, putting that in and booking it. Just going back to the fundamentals for six months, 
I, and, I, and I laugh. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like I did more in that six months than I did my first 22 years. What's that look like uh, in terms of quantity and quality of work? Yeah, I think that's an excellent clarifying question. And I think the other thing too, Sandy, is that um, we can create a lot of work in our business that is not income producing or results achieving. Mm, yes. You can literally go through a 12-month period of time, feel like you work 12 hours a day, look back and not have a tangible result. So what I did there is I came up with my daily kind of discipline. That's uh, what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to some of my earlier days in the business. And I remember Harry Hoop is talking about having his three fixed daily commitments. And, you know, I didn't give Harry credit at the time while I was doing it. But now as I'm talking to you, a lot of that came from coming up with those three things. So I knew I had to do one good quality fact finder. I knew I had to uh, have one good quality close. But more importantly, Sandy, I knew I had to schedule two meetings. If I scheduled two meetings every single day, that was my fact finder and my close. Now, uh, you know, when I first started in the business, my case size was a lot smaller. So I think if if I was doing this when I was 21, I probably would have had to ratchet that up from what I just shared with you. But just doing one fact finder, one close, scheduling two appointments every day over six months, um, that's what it did. That's, that's how I started. Yeah. You know, I knew it was something like that because there's no magic. I mean, it, it's, it's a job that you work. If you work it and do the right work, you're going to have better production. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. You know, uh, you have, you were working with one of my advisors one time and, uh, you kind of made a little bit of like a sidebar comment, but it was so profound in the moment, you know, and I, and I keep bringing it back to the guys, but you made something along the lines of like, guys, it all works. You just have to. <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, it's like people say well i don't ask for referrals that way anymore because it doesn't work well yeah it does or cold calling doesn't work yeah it does but what you want to find is the thing that works best and, and if for you it was originally cold calling and then later working with clients to get introductions from those clients that's what works best and you just have to work it uh, but, you know, I, I don't, if someone says to me, well, you know, I make cold calls and I do great. I don't try to change that. It's just that there are more effective things you can do, like having relationships with existing clients. You know, I think the position that I was in, Sandy, you know, when I made that decision, uh, I probably had two dozen people placing business through the firm in one safe way, shape or form. You know, I had people that had uh, 10 minutes of experience. And I had guys that had a hundred years of experience, you know, and there was really no cohesion or connectivity. And so really what I did was I said, I'm going to go back to the basics. And I started from ground zero. Yeah. And, and, and Sandy, I think, I hope people learn something from this. I mean, that's the whole purpose of us putting together. Yeah. But it was the fundamentals. And so by me leading, by doing the fundamentals, all my reps became more productive. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. I like them to be more productive than they are today. Right. <laughs> right I get it. But so once they saw me do it, then they started doing it. 
So let, let's be specific on the fundamentals. What do you call fundamentals? I still use a good, I still use a traditional fact-finding form. I sent it to the, uh, it's copyrighted and trademarked. And uh, I, I, I probably combined maybe eight to 10 different versions that I saw before into mine, but I still use that form. So if I'm meeting with you for the first time, Sandy, there's no yellow pad. I'm not using loose leaf. I'm not using an iPad. I'm using a form with my, my firm's name on it, with my firm's mission statement on it, with our values on it, and the areas of expertise that we're in. And then when I open it, I already have it pre-filled out with the information that I know about the prospect. So if I know their name, their date of birth, their address, their income. So now I've immediately separated myself from everybody else because I can't tell you how many times in the last three years they're like, oh, you have a form? It, it's filled out yeah our last guy i mean he was writing this on a cocktail napkin at the last dinner we had you know so yeah. immediately by using that fact finding form it's raised my credibility and it's really kind of getting them to buy into there's a process it's not buying into joe which ultimately they're doing but it starts with buying into my process yeah so that's one fundamental uh, having a form Pre-filling is just so important. It shows that you took the time to learn something about them. And also, if you can get a lot of the questions you need answered in the phone call, you're not wasting their time with easy questions that they know the answer to when you're getting down to what's really going on in their lives. So that's good. What's another fundamental? I, I believe you got to schedule new appointments every day. Okay. So going back to those two appointments every single day. Yeah. You know? So you got to use a good quality form. You got to schedule appointments every single day. Now, you, you know, depending on who you talk to, some people tell you the telephone don't work. Some people tell you the email don't work. Some people tell you the <laughs> Facebook messenger doesn't work. Uh, you just got to schedule. Yeah. yeah. You just got to schedule. I don't care how you do it. You just got to do it. Now you got to follow the rules of your compliance, right? but use all the tools available. You know, I laughed because I had a mentor who wasn't in our business make fun of me one time. I said to him, you know, he's a lot older than I was. I said, you know, I hate technology. I'm terrible with it. And he looked at me and he was like, you're on Facebook, you're on LinkedIn, you write blogs, you do videos, you send emails a couple of hundred times a day, you use text message. And he's like, he's like, I still use the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate technology. You embrace technology. So so I don't care what the medium is, Sandy. The key is you got to get back to those two a day. And anybody can 100% transform their business. It doesn't matter if they're making $10 million a year right now, or if they're struggling to uh, pay their rent. If they just commit to those two a day, that will transform their business. The last thing, and this is a little bit more of a challenge, and I kind of combine them to is I really make sure that I ask somebody to buy every day, but also in that meeting, I'm making sure that they're introducing me to somebody else. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I may be wrong in this approach. I know there's a lot of people, but my feeling is if you introduce me to one good person, that's kind of like you, that's a win. Now I, I have a goal of five. I want to get five out of everybody, but if I can get one person to introduce me to the next one, and I know that person's going to answer the phone and I know they're going to at least give me an opportunity to see if I can help them. 
that was a win for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it grows your business and it doesn't really matter how you do it. The, the advisors who are very uncomfortable with it, I have a system. There are other people who have systems that help them do it in a comfortable way. But in the end, you got to do it. It's just part of part of any business. You know? And so so that's really cool. And that, that makes sense. So I want to ask you a, a question that's from a different place. If you had to start over again, what would you do differently? I have started over again. <laughs> so which which part? <laughs> well, would you continue doing management in addition to producing? Would you be just a producer and and do use what you know how to do now? What would be different? You know, I think um, I probably would have got a little more proactive with Rogaine. <laughs> <laughs> if i had to boil it down to one thing it would have been that <laughs> uh, there's so, always but in, implants but, and... <laughs> but in terms of the in terms of the business sandy you know i've been exclusively a producer i've been exclusively a manager i've been here in the middle and i probably wouldn't trade what i'm currently doing for any of the other contracts i've ever had you know our firm we're in a producer-centric model my reps have no vested interest in placing product at any particular carrier or money manager. So we're really, truly helping the client with what's best for them with the products that make the most sense for them. The other thing too, Sandy, is our business is kind of shrinking a little bit. You know, you look around at some of the career insurance companies, you look around at some of the broker dealers, you kind of look at around some of the, uh, the wirehouses and you're like, What's going on here? So I feel like what I'm doing is the most rewarding personally and financially because I'm helping everybody get to a better place as a result of working with me. And so I probably wouldn't change anything from a professional standpoint in terms of what my day-to-day -day looks like uh, and the work that I'm doing. Uh, the only thing, like I said, yeah, and it was a little bit in jest about the Rogaine, I probably would also prioritize a little bit of the personal stuff, you know, because those first five to seven years, Sandy, I sacrificed personal relationships, friendships, because it was just all about hitting the numbers all the time. So if you ask me what would I would do different, I'd probably spend a little bit more time with the personal stuff, because I understood if I control the controllables and execute upon the things that uh, I laid in my plan, it's going to take care of itself. And I didn't know that when I was young. Yeah. Wow. You've given us a lot of things to consider. What I'd like to do is ask you if I was, let's say I made it to MDRT or I was almost there and I had my sights set on top of the table, what advice would you give me? I think a lot of people, Sandy, in our business have gotten away from the coach. And the most important relationship I've had in my business, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to even say it, is a coach. So anybody who's either feeling stuck or at a plateau or just, you know, how do I get more out of myself needs to engage a third party coach. Yeah, cool. The Van Miller said exactly the same thing. 
and you know, and he still has a coach. So here's guys top of the table 44 years now, and he still has a coach. So um, thank you for that. That's that's um, uh, it, it really is important to have somebody on the outside helping you with your swing. <laughs> and that's, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's why I do what I do, but I appreciate your saying it. You know, Sandy, um, through our work, through my experience, you know, we're our own biggest obstacle. Always. You need somebody else to point it out to you. Yeah. My, my coach says, but only always. <laughs> 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 exactly and and that's the truth so this has been great i, I want to thank you for sharing and um, we'll get uh, this out to people and hopefully it's going to provide the help that i always like to give them i appreciate everything saying this was great if you want to talk with me about your journey to the top of the table contact me at sandychassel.com slash conversation. I'll see you at the top.